Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're joined by Joel Harris to talk about GenVax. How are you doing today, Joel? Doing good, Matt. Thanks for having me. Excited to have you on. I've known you for a little while now, and you have quite the background when it comes to production of new vaccines and new vaccine or new technologies for the swine industry. Could you start off by introducing who you are, what you do today, but then also the history of you and your family in pork production? Yeah, sure. So, uh, so Joel Harris, uh, currently I'm the uh, uh, CEO and co-founder of GenVax Technologies. Um, I also uh, run a small uh, investment seed capital firm called Ag Startup Engine. I'm the executive director there, and we invest in early stage agricultural technology startups, um, you know, probably one that might be more relevant to some of your your listeners as we were early investors in performance livestock analytics, which was a um, precision livestock platform for feedlot cattle that Zoetis bought. Um, so I've been spending most of my time at GenVax lately. So prior to that, um, I worked with my father, Dr. Hank Harris, as a co-founder of Harris Vaccines. So we had brought a uh, a messenger RNA platform to the animal health industry and commercialized products in swine and, and poultry. Um, so we were first to get a porcine epidemic diarrhea vaccine approved by USDA. Um, and we were also able to get um, back in the 2015 avian influenza outbreak, we got a USDA approved vaccine and a stockpile order from the government um, in about nine months. Um, so that's my, that's really, you know, my career in, in swine production, uh, has been on the, the biotech side, um, and some of the investment side, um, my father and my, and my mother, who's also a, uh, veterinarian and a PhD in epidemiology, um, has had a long, uh, academic and private sector history, um, and even prior to that, so my, my grandfather raised Duroc boars um, shortly after the Great Depression and in and around Boone, Iowa and Mount Pleasant. Um, uh, my father then got his veterinary and Ph.D. degree from Iowa State University and is credited for discovering uh, the pathogen that caused swine dysentery. Um, him and a collaborator out of Cambridge in the U.K., um, kind of discovered it simultaneously and, and got credit and was able to name that 
that pathogen. Um, you know, my father, Hank, he went on to, to start, help start Noble Labs, um, which was then acquired by Boeinger Ingelheim uh, in the 80s. He's also, um, I, I feel like, officially credited with, with kind of the modern day uh, pig production methods of multi-site pig production. So the idea of separating uh, the nursery from the wean to finish uh, operations in, in an effort um, not really to improve productivity, but to control disease and biosecurity. Um, it just kind of happens that if you have healthier, happy, happier pigs, you get better, better yields and production and profit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's an extensive, you know, several decades of, of wanting to, you know, be early adopters in technology and bring innovation to animal health. And we continue to do that today at, at GenVax. No, that's awesome. And I think a lot of people listening may have or probably experienced PED at some point. But when that came out, that was a big deal. I was in South Farms at the time dealing with the effects of PED outbreaks and I'd love it if you could kind of talk to how big that was for the industry, but then also some of the bigger challenges you had. And you said that you were working with messenger RNA for that. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, so there's, I think this is really interesting. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm probably biased, but, um, so back 10, 10 years ago, you know, when we're, at Harris vaccines and we're trying to explain the technology and we're, you know, either getting investors or getting customers or getting partners. Um, or even when I would talk to the, you know, the media, um, you pretty much lost everybody once you said messenger RNA. <laughs> and now with COVID, you know, you got CNN has it every day or, you know, everybody off the street is talking about it. So it's, it's kind of amazing, but, you know, as short as, even you know, seven to ten years ago, it was it was this thing that I that I stopped talking to customers about because at the end of the day, that you know, the producers or even the veterinarians to a certain degree don't care how the vaccine works. It's just is it safe? Is it potent? Is it going to provide protection and efficacy? What's the duration of immunity? So it's kind of funny to come full circle and and talk about these things now because I had such a hard time with it before. Um, so really. Um, I mean, just like with Moderna and, and COVID-19, when uh, PED came into the United States, we knew it was a coronavirus. We knew that in 2004, um, with the SARS outbreak in, in China and, and, you know, the potential of that being a, a, a pandemic, um, there was so much work in understanding SARS and other coronaviruses and that the the spike gene or the spike protein or the S1 gene uh, could derive protection against coronaviruses. And so what we did at Harris Vaccines, um, you know, really a couple months after the outbreak, we had a experimental vaccine candidate for, for PED. Um, I mean, literally in like, a you know, probably less than a month because um, we knew exactly what gene to drop into our system. Um, and that really was a turning point for Harris vaccines. I mean, we had 
spent the previous five years working with um, stakeholders in the industry and the USDA, which which actually regulates biologicals for animal health. So they, they regulate vaccines, not the FDA for animals. Um, and it was really this thing of that. It was an opportunistic thing where we had the team and the technology and and a platform that we had talked about that could be used for almost anything. And when PED happened, we, it was a risk. I mean, it, it was, I remember being in a board meeting and we making the decision whether we should make a million doses of, of this experimental vaccine. And it was really a, an inflection point for the company and, and set us off for, um, you know, almost 500% growth over three years and the eventual exit to, to Merck Animal Health. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought in the COVID perspective there because I think we talked right during the outbreak and I asked you, so what what company out there has similar technology to what you had? And you said Moderna. And I was really disappointed in myself for not investing in that because I should have known better. Um, <laughs> a lot of my friends were smarter than you on that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I got in for a little, but not as long as I should have. And um, I'd love for you to talk now. We That was messenger RNA. Right. And I believe GenVax is utilizing... S-A-R-N-A. Is that correct? Yeah, it's very similar. I mean, and actually, um, you know, the tech, it's all messenger RNA, but what we're using is, um, I like to call it like a derivative of of messenger RNA. It's self-amplifying messenger RNA. So the difference between um, what we do and like a Moderna or a BioNTech vaccine is, is they require... Um, a significantly higher um, microgram of, of messenger RNA, whereas with our system, uh, it gets amplified after the injection, and so you you don't require as high a dose to get the potential immune response you're going for, which really lends itself for a a livestock vaccine where you know you can't. Uh, charge $30 a dose, you know, for a pig vaccine. And so you're still harnessing the flexibility and the um, the power of messenger RNA, but delivering it in, in slightly a different way. And there are human um, vaccine companies um, that are working on this for infectious diseases or cancer therapeutics. So there's been a lot of... Um, startups and funding going into uh, this and other types of messenger RNA. And, and I really do feel like those will be the next generation vaccines for, for COVID or for influenza and humans. Um, we're just trying to, you know, get ahead of it and, and bring it to animals sooner. Who are the front runners on the people side with SANRA? I, I, I mean, I would say that, um, the one that I follow more closely is called Strand Therapeutics. Um, I think they're out of Boston, um, so they're they're focused more on cancer, but they're they're specifically working on self amplifying messenger RNA. So, I guess can you talk about what the relationship uh, with GenVax and UAH means to the industry? Yeah, so. Um, we founded GenVax uh, about 18 months ago, and, it, you know, again, it was really under the guise that 
we wanted to bring this this novel um, platform again to the industry. You know, it's a similar uh, business model of creating custom vaccines for producers or for specific outbreaks. So, you know, like, you know, instead of trying to predict what's going to come into the United States, it's a, it's a rapid response and hundred percent match play. And so I knew that, uh, from our previous experience with Harris vaccines, it's a really capital intensive process because where the FDA may care about the product the USDA, uh, which again regulates animal vaccines, they care about the process. And so you have to demonstrate the, the safety and the potency and the efficacy, and you have to get your manufacturing um, all lined up before you can even sell a single dose. So it, in, in any event, it's capital intensive. And so I wanted to, when I went out for this latest round of funding, I wanted to work with um with people with people in the industry that understand the the challenges that uh that this brings especially with the threat of african swine fever and foot and mouth disease or or these uh the unknown you know the new novel um variants of different things that may come into fact and so early on i i was really imp- i'd always kind of engaged with united animal health over the years in my career and you know got you know, they're tech service vets and um, acquainted with Prairie Systems and um, in the Leo Precision Ag products. And so, um, you know, they really care about, uh, you know, the impact ASF could have on their customers. They've started this um, vision for being more, having more diverse products. And, um, you know, I think they really saw this could be their entry point for vaccines. Um, and I, I think it's also important to mention, I mean, the other players in this round, Johnsonville Ventures, um, Iowa Corn Growers Associations, there were several um, folks in the industry that participated in our in our pre-seed round. Um, they all bring different perspective and expertise in the whole pork supply chain. And and I just think that's tremendously unique for a for a biotech company to have folks like that um, as shareholders and on the board. Um, and I see a lot of value um, and, and you know helping bring this to market, but also the adoption of it in the industry. And so, is African swine fever the core focus with this, or is this something that would actually help with PERS and other? other areas as well. Yeah. So we're right now we're extremely focused on, on two diseases and we were very um, uh, deliberate in choosing those. So the, the first one is, is swine influenza. Um, you know, maybe not the, maybe not this, the sexiest disease, but um, you, you know, you, I mean, you know, and you talk to anybody um, I would say it's the sig- the second biggest uh, pain point in, in, in the sense that I, I feel producers just live with it. You know, you're going to get flu, you're going to deal with it. You know, maybe you pick, um, two to three strains uh, that you're going to focus on to vaccinate in the following year. Um, there's different approaches as far as, 
you know, broad commercial vaccines versus autogenous vaccines or, or regional vaccines. Um, and I think there's, there's a lot of an opportunity to improve those. Um, and it's also a good a model for proving the, the efficacy and the safety of, of the SARNA platform. So that, that is our kind of first point. Um, but what that does is it opens up the door for us to explore things like rotavirus and, um, and, uh, you know, mycoplasma and different, different kind of diseases, uh, strep suis, um, just really anything that might be impacting the domestic, uh, U S producers. And then we chose African swine fever because, um, that was really in collaboration with the USDA, um, ARS, the Agricultural Research Services out of Plum Island, which um, still currently is active and hasn't moved 100% to MBATH yet in Manhattan, Kansas. Um, so that, that was really a collaborative um, and still is a collaborative effort. Um, and I think we're going about it uh, looking at ASF in a, in a pretty unique way. And we were able to get some uh, funding from FFAR, which is the Foundation for Food and Agricultural Research as well. So those are the two focus. But, you know, again, it, it, it's really to get the platform uh, approved uh, and demonstrated um, because, again, we don't know what's going to come next, but we're going to have the, the tools and the people and, um, and everything else figured out to kind of address what, what comes Fair. And so some of that might be encompassed and some of this next question might be encompassed what you already said, but short-term, short-term focus, long-term focus is short-term that approval and and validating the platform. And yeah, yeah, short, I mean, short-term is, is, uh, is really flu and, and, and ASF and pigs, um, you know, long-term is livestock, uh, you know, cattle, poultry, aquaculture, uh, equine, and then, you know, even, and companion animals. I mean, I mean, there's, um, a lot of money chasing different things for companion animals. Um, we don't pretend to be experts in that, but we also see a lot of potential there. Um, and, uh, and then also outside the United States. So, you know, United Animal Health has a, a really Actually, probably a bigger global presence than most people realize. Um, and that was another advantage I saw is that we can maybe move faster or in tandem with uh, domestic USDA approval and international approval for certain products. Absolutely. By having that, that name that's tried and true and proven and you kind of lean on well, and, and people on the ground too. I mean, they've got people in, Europe and the Middle East and Southeast yeah. Asia. So it's, uh, I mean, that, that helps. I mean, we're a startup. I've got, you know, including me, I've got nine full-time people and um, we're agile and nimble, but there's a, there's a, <laughs> you know, an ampli- there's a, you know, it amplifies to have someone like United also helping. So, so when should producers expect and maybe expect is the wrong word, when can we hope to see a GenVax product available to solve one of these these issues? Like, what what is realistic 
for Genvax and bringing a solution to the market, whatever that might be. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I don't mean to hesitate, but it, I mean, we, we're, um, you know, we're going through the regulatory channels. Um, you know, I have a, you know, in, in my planning, I hope it to be, you know, three years or so. Um, okay. There's, you know, there's different things that go into that and um, efficacy studies and getting manufacturing approved and, um, you know, as I said, it typically animal vaccines are faster approval than human. Um, and that's mostly the case. Um, it, you know, it could be faster. I mean, there, there are instances where, you know, if there is an outbreak or a situation or an unmet need, um, I mentioned before that, um, at Harris vaccines, we got an avian influenza vaccine approved in nine months. I mean, it really does kind of depend, but, but for that, some, yeah. Oh, go ahead. And some of that's based on like, so I don't think a lot of people understand the, just the approval process, which I don't think we should get into because it's a very lengthy and complicated subject, but like you can fast track some of these things if the government allows it. And in some ways, like fast tracking a vaccine comes with unknown financial risk tied to a lot of the manufacturing and distribution and uptake. And in some cases, the government might even come in and subsidize that risk to encourage the ability of the company to decide to fast track. Is that correct? Uh, well, it depends on, I mean, I'm sure there were instances of that. You know, my, my personal experience is it is especially with foreign animal diseases. There's also this complexity of, um, what of, what vaccinating uh, livestock means for our trade partners. So that's the other, the other thing that um, complicates. Gotcha. Items. So, you know, to a certain extent, um, I would say, you know, most companies, uh, or at least I, there's a paradigm shift or, you know, th- this thing happening because of COVID, um, you know, before, or, you know, even as little as like five years ago, um, you know, maybe it was the business model was you go after these large stockpile grants. Um, and we did that similarly, you know, we got for, we were paid by the government, uh, to produce 50 million doses of avian influenza as, as a preventative, you know, stockpile. Um, and there's been several of those over the decades and we share, or we used to share, um, stockpile capacity with Canada and Mexico, for example, um, with our technology and similar technologies that are out there or new ones that are coming, you know, you don't really need to do that. If you can have the infrastructure in place to uh, deploy a vaccine in as little as two weeks after, you know, once the outbreaks confirmed, um, you could really have an impact on, on, on how fast it spread. Now you need that, that investment and you need that support and you need the incentives in place to, to make that a reality. But I think it's a lot closer to becoming a reality than I, than I've ever seen. And so that's what I think, that's what we're excited about. I mean, that's great news. I mean, I could say like all day, you know, all day long, like let's go after, you know, 20, $30 million stockpile grants. But is that, if it's just going to sit in a freezer, like, is that really going to help anybody? Um, and, and I also know there's a push for, 
There's a huge dependence on the U.S. for foreign manufacturing of of foreign animal disease vaccines like foot and mouth disease, for example. Mm -hmm. If we can utilize these new technologies so that the U.S. produces its own um, vaccines against these foreign animal disease, it's just it's a better um, it's more security, you know, uh, more national security for for our food producers. For sure. So what else, as we kind of wrap up here, should producers know about GenVax as, as you guys are growing and as you're taking this funding to grow? Yeah, I mean, we, um, well, again, you know, we're, we're a startup. This funding is really critical for us to, to move toward getting a product to market. I mean, I'll just reiterate, we're not selling anything today, <laughs> you know? um, but we're, um, but we're, you know, we're interested in, uh, what producers are dealing with on a daily basis, you know, what their concerns are, um, where, what veterinarians are concerned about or what they, they foresee the challenges are. Um, uh, you know, I think the fact that, um, we're a very veterinarian led group and, and think as much. And now with United coming in also on the, you know, maybe more of the, the drug or nutritional aspect. I think that's a good balance. Um, uh, I think, you know, I think probably one thing that, uh, you know, it's like, I think sometimes there's this perception that, that we would only that or not we but other companies only go after you know big big problems or niche problems in the industry and and I would say that the advantage of having a platform um where the manufacturing process is the exact same for every single you know vaccine that you make it allows us to go after these uh you, you know these things that cause 10 or 15% morbidity or, you know, the things that producers are kind of always struggling with and can never get ahead of. Yeah. Um, and maybe they're small markets. I mean, maybe it's only like a five or $10 million market in the U S and, and most companies would not see that as a, as something to go after. Um, we're, I, I love those markets because at the end of the day, you're, you're still, you're helping the producer and you're coming up with something that's customized and specific to, what their challenges are or how their um, production unit is set up. And so, so I, I want to do that all day long. And I think um, with, that, and, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll mention you guys as well with, with swine, swine tech or some of these other precision livestock applications, like for the first time in a long time, we're actually going to know what is working on the farm and not just kind of taking um, what happens in the lab and, and trying to apply it in the field. It, we're gonna, we're getting real data back faster all the time. Um, and so I would, it, it, it becomes a conversation of not, you know, you should use our products. It's like, well, this is when you should use it. And this is when you shouldn't, you know, like, yeah, really more prescriptive and not just, you know, blanketing, you know, blanking it with, uh, things you don't really need. No, that's a great way to put it. And it's a lot of hope for the industry too, to see 
companies like GenVax come forward where we can be more prescriptive, where we can be more custom in our approach, because everyone is different in some kind of way. And so that's a great step forward for the industry. And I'd like to ask you a couple of questions that we typically ask for you hop off. First one is, what is something unique about you that most people in the swine industry probably do not know? <laughs> oh man, I don't know. That's, uh, I mean, <laughs> if I do, I mean, uh, I get a, I, I get a hard time for, for being a Hawkeye. Hey, you're a Hawkeye too, though. So oh, yeah, both my parents went to Iowa state. A lot of our employees went to Iowa state. Um, but I did go to the, the university of Iowa, um, again, in, in econ and, and then later kind of did a post graduate thing at, at Northwestern. Um, that's yeah, been I mean, an easy probably, thing to, that's been an easy thing to defend as of late when it comes to <laughs> right. being a Hawkeye because Nebraska, Minnesota, and Iowa State haven't done a lot to, to make their case on the sports side as of late, at least in football. So at least we have that to lean on for the moment. But if we start yeah. losing all those games, then yeah, we're going to be, we're going to have to hide in a hole somewhere. I know. I know. I, I, <laughs> Uh, I just want some fun plays this this season. So, oh yes, <laughs> yeah. Trust me, no Hawkeye fan out there thinks that watching Hawkeye football right now is actually all that entertaining. So, yep. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> what is a golden nugget that you would have for listeners? A life lesson that you've picked up that you'd like to share? Um, that's good too. I, uh, well, so. And maybe this only applies for um, entrepreneurs, or and not not like tech entrepreneurs, but or you know really any any business owner um, or someone who wants to uh, become a, an owner or a founder or a, you know or whatever a CEO. So my father and I have, have come to see this true that you really uh, when you have to make decisions, basically, like there isn't really a way. Around, you know, skirting that at all. You know, at the end of the day, you're making lots of decisions, sometimes really quickly, sometimes without all the information available. Um, but I think in, in practice, we feel, or I feel that you only have to really be right 51% of the time and, yeah. and you'll be okay. Um, I think uh, and I've dealt this a lot with um, advising academic founders who really struggle with just, you know, filing the paperwork to get the LLC in place or, or you know what I mean? Like, I, I, yeah, I think if you, um, and maybe it's the actual act of doing those decisions and taking those steps forward to make what you want a reality. Um, I mean, I have to, I wish things were moving faster at GenVax and I just have to remind myself that we're an 18 month old company, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's actually like quite a tremendous, a lot of progress in that amount of time. And so, um, and that's only because we decided to do it and decided to raise money and to hire people and rent a lab and buy equipment. And, and we just kept moving forward and, you know, maybe I'm sure we've made, or I know we've made some mistakes already on the way and I'm sure there's other ones that'll, come to light down the road, but, <laughs> but we're still doing, we're making those decisions and moving forward. So. Yeah. It can feel hard to make decisions and it. You almost, 
you're almost more time driven, right? Like there's some decisions where, all right, time is up. We have to decide something with what yep. you have. Yeah. And you almost have to find comfort in that because it's hard. I, I tell this story a lot. I mean, again, I was advising this, um, you know, really smart guy, uh, academic and just, we kept meeting month over month and there wasn't any progress, just like kind of edits to the, to the business plan or the slide deck. And, and I, and he kind of, it kind of got heated at one point and he said, well, what am I supposed to do? You, you know, rent a lab and slap a logo on the door. And I said, well, that'd be a start. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, really, I mean, it's just these little things that make it a reality and then you're held accountable to those realities. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, this is a much, a much smaller degree, but my wife is a mental health therapist and one day wanted a private practice. And she came up with the name she wanted and all this other stuff. And I told her, buy the domain. Yeah. She's like, why? I'm not doing this for years. I'm like, if you buy that domain and you spend that $800 or whatever it is, and in some cases, it might only cost you 15 maybe 30 for the extra provisions, yeah. but you're going to hold yourself accountable. You are now financially vested into the idea, and you are going to have to make a real decision. Do I continue? Do I stop? As opposed to do I linger? And so absolutely. And it did. It changed her perception of it entirely. It was now a real thing and something that drove accountability. Yep. Yeah. Whether it's domain name, LLC filing. Um, I mean, I'd even argue, you know, making a business card. It's just like it's yeah. that reality and tangible thing that it's not just this thing you talk about and agonize over. So... Absolutely. No, I mean, we really appreciate you joining the Popular Pig Podcast, Joel, and thank you so much for sharing what you're doing. Thank you for what you're doing for the industry as a whole. And I look forward to seeing how things how things grow for you. And um, how can people get in touch with you if they would like to identify ways that they can help as you guys grow? Yeah, yeah. So we're... Um... Not not a low profile. I mean, we, we so we have a website, genvax.com, and then our, our social is uh, Twitter is genvax underscore tech. And then uh, we're on LinkedIn as well. Um, that's probably where we'll be doing most of our updates for a while. Um, and uh, and then me personally, I'm uh, on Twitter a lot with Joel uh, T. Harris. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're... Again, we're fairly involved in the, as you know, Matt, you know, the ag tech startup ecosystem for early stage companies um, with ag startup engine. And so, um, it, I mean, you know this, it, it's amazing how many resources are out there now. And it's almost confusing. Yeah. Um, and the, with all the accelerators and incubators and, and all this stuff. And so, you know, my whole thing is to try to give back a little bit to help specifically you know early stage ag tech founders um you know avoid some of these hurdles that i've that that i've gone through so happy to help where i can thank you for joining us on this episode of popular pig we aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests if you enjoyed this episode 
please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. 